Welcome everyone to another King Reflections episode where we draw attention to our thoughts, attitudes, mentalities, beliefs, and behaviors, and challenge them to see if they serve us or enslave us. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you're using, whether that be Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and also follow our Xander King brand on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, spelled X-N-D-R-K-I-N-G, Xander King. If you have any questions or want to hear a certain topic on a future episode, contact us on any of our social media platforms or email us to info at xanderking.com. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Thank you very much for listening. In this episode, instead of doing a spoken poem like I usually do after every fifth normal episode, I've decided to do and present to you guys the sermon that I preached on the 21st of May this year, 2022. And the topic that I preached on was joy. So enjoy this session. There is obviously some talking. You can hear people in the background and stuff like that. Um, but it is recorded with a microphone attached to my uh, chest. So it's a bit low quality, not the greatest quality, uh, but it is my first preaching that I did um, at my local church. So sit back and enjoy. Thank you very much. Second point, don't micromanage. If you've given someone a job to do, recognize that they won't do it the same way as you would. Absolutely. Unless they have found them bad together, let them do it their own way. Yeah. So with that in mind, I've invited, um, I've invited uh, Daniel to minister the word of God this morning. <laughs> Welcome everyone to the house of God. How has it been? And yes, I'll probably make many mistakes today, so please forgive me. Thank you, Pastor Bill. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I've got my camera over there as well just to record this, and I'm recording this so I can put on my podcast later so you can listen whenever you want. <laughs> so that's my Ronald McDonald voice. I got that from my housemates. Um, So, welcome. Thank you, Pastor Bill and Sister Robin, for allowing me the opportunity. Nerves getting on me, thank you. Opportunity to uh, (laughs) speak up and uh, say hello to you all and uh, bring the word of God to you. First, let's just open up in prayer, though. So, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for us giving giving me the opportunity to bring your word to the congregation, Lord Jesus. And I pray that our hearts and minds are open to your word, Lord Jesus, that we may apply it to our heart and that we can... um, you know, apply it in our lives, Lord Jesus, so that we can be the shining light that you asked us to be, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Excellent. So today I'm going to talk about joy. Who here loves joy? Excellent. Great response. <laughs> uh, first, I'd like to turn, to turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. When you say amen, then I know you have it. Everyone's got it? Amen. That's just me telling you that I've got it. Amen. <laughs> Galatians 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 22. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such 
there is no law. Um, <clears throat> so I get told a lot of the time that um, you're always so happy, especially at work. Like, you always come in here smiling, you know, you're not really down. There's, I've never seen you upset or sad or, you know, angry or anything. So I thought, um, I started questioning myself sometimes, going, why am I so happy or joyful? And like, obviously, there's a lot of multiple answers that go around floating in your head. It's the donuts. Amen. <laughs> That's coming up next. Just wait for it. Uh, so yeah. Um, so I feel like that's the word that better fits than happy, because a lot of people say, oh, you're happy. But really, they mean joy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, because happiness is a fleeting emotion. It's temporary, whereas content, fulfillment, and joy, or the long-lasting kind of joy, um, obviously lasts a little bit longer. It's a more ongoing sort of emotion. Um, so I'm going to ask three people. When do you know that you're feeling joy? If anybody wants to volunteer and jump up to their feet and tell me when they're feeling joy, when, how do you know that you're feeling joy? When things are really, really tough, pain is really dying, yet you can see and be with joy in your heart and your place, and that doesn't bother you, even though things are so dark, you just have to be quiet or not happy. There's just, I don't know. You know it's sitting in the wall when you don't know where it comes from. Yeah, so there's a peace yeah. and a bit of a content knowing that it's going to be okay, yeah. yeah. Anybody else? Two more people. I had the same answer. You had the same answer? <laughs> yeah, you, can't, you can't explain it. Yeah. But you've got joy in all the circumstances, you're all against it. So. Yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Anyone else? Or does everyone sort of conclude that's the same sort of joy that they feel? When I hook a really big fish. <laughs> <laughs> when I really land a really good fish. <laughs> I think it's having a certain energy that there and like you feel upbeat inside, like an energy. Yep, 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 good. These are all actual right answers, so they're all correct. Yep, yep. Yep. So we'll come to the actual definition of joy, but there are actually multiple sort of layers or um, uh, expressions of it. There's not just one, not just solely one. It's actually a whole accumulation of expressions. Uh, so I'm going to give you a little bit of a story about how I came about to wanting to, I guess, bring joy or what God laid on my heart. So recently, I've actually been, um, I listened to audiobooks, and I listened to Anne of Green Gables. Anyone who, put your hand up if you listened or heard or read. How good is it? It's so good. Every page, every time I was listening, this is, makes me so happy. And Ian's just like, this is horrible. <laughs> it's a great book. Why don't you like it, Ian? I can feel joy in this right now. <laughs> <laughs> is that, do you say you don't want me to read it? It's a great book. Uh, but as the character uh, Anne, obviously of Anne Green Gables, um, it's sort of like Pollyanna. It's sort of similar kind of mi mindsets or character or you know attitudes. Um, you know, she's very joyful. Um, Karina reminded me of uh, myself, but not as intense as Anne does. Obviously, because she's 11 in, in the story at the start of the book, so you kind of kind of understand. 
But I'm going to read a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of excerpt from the book in chapter two. Um, when, so if you don't know the story, Anne is an orphan from from birth, and she starts off in a couple of families bouncing around, and then she ends up in an orphanage. So then, um, this two brother and sister decide to adopt a child as supposed to be a boy but they ended up with a girl. Um, and they wanted to bring on the boy to help out the, uh, Matthew um, to, with, the, with the farm, um, which obviously was a girl, so obviously she couldn't help with the farm in those days, because this is set back in, or oh, help me out here, in 1920s, 1950s? I don't know. <laughs> a long time ago. 1800s, wow. Maybe I should read the book again, how awkward. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to read this little excerpt where um, Matthew picks her up from the train station um, and is surprised that it's, you know, oh my goodness, it's a girl, not a boy that we wanted. Um, and he's just, you know, taking it, and she's talking the whole time, like chattering, like she just blabs on, blabs on. So I'm going to start off from mid-conversation and then you'll get what I mean when I start. And I apologize, I act out books when I read them. I don't actually, I can't just read it in monotone and then you guys just go, this is boring. <laughs> so I actually um, act it out, so here we go. <clears throat> kind of like how Anne does in the end of the book, how she acts it out. Boy in action. Exactly. <laughs> All right, here we go. <laughs> well, whatever it is, uh, whatever it was, it must have been something nice because she was divinely beautiful. Have you ever imagined what it must feel like to be divinely beautiful? Well now, no, I haven't confessed to Matthew ingenuously. I have often. Which would you rather be if you had the choice? Divinely beautiful or dazzling clever or angelically good? Well now, I, I don't know exactly. Neither do I. I can never decide. But it doesn't make much real difference, for it isn't likely I'll ever be either. It's certain I'll never be angelically good. Mrs. Spencer says, Oh, Mr. Cuthbert. Oh, Mr. Cuthbert. Oh, Mr. Cuthbert. <laughs> Just like that. That's how I imagined it, because there's like three exclamation marks at the end of that last one. <laughs> that was not what Mrs. Spencer had said. Neither had the child tumbled out of the buggy, nor had Matthew done anything astonishing. They had simply rounded a curve in the road and found themselves in the avenue. The avenue, so called by the Newbridge people, was a stretch of road four or 500 yards long, completely arched over with huge, wide-spreading apple trees planted years ago by an eccentric old farmer. Overhead was one long canopy of snowy, fragrant bloom. Below the boughs, the air was full of a purple twilight, and far ahead, a glimpse of painted sunset sky shone like a great rose window at the end of a cathedral aisle. Its beauty seemed to strike the child dumb, and dumb means obviously silent in those days. She leaned back in the buggy, her, chin, her thin hands clasped before her, her face lifted rapturously to the white splendor above. Even when they had passed out and were driving down the long slope to the new bridge, she never moved or spoke. Still with rapt face, she, she gazed afar into the sunset west with eyes that saw visions trooping splendidly across the glowing background. Through Newbridge, a, bust, a bustling little village where dogs barked at them and small boys hooted and curious faces peered from the windows, they drove still in silence. When three more miles had dropped away, 
behind them, in the, behind them the child had, had not spoken. She could keep silence, it was evident, as energetically as she could talk. I guess you're feeling pretty tired and hungry, Matthew ventured to say at last, accounting for her long visitation of dumbness into the only reason he could think of. But we haven't very far to go now, only one, another mile. <clears throat> she came out of her reverie with a deep sigh and looked at him with the dreamy gaze of a soul that had been wandering afar, star-led. Oh, Mr. Cuthbert, she whispered. That place we came through, that white place, what, what, what is it? Well, now you must mean the avenue, said Matthew, after a few moments' profound reflection. It's a kind of pretty place. Pretty? Oh, pretty doesn't seem the right word to use. Nor beautiful either. They don't go far enough. Oh, it was wonderful, wonderful. It's the first thing I ever saw that could have been improved. That, sorry, that couldn't be improved upon by, by imagination. It just satisfies me here. She put her hand on her breast. Whoops. <laughs> Um, it made a queer, funny ache, and yet it was a pleasant ache. Do you ever have an ache like that, Mr. Cuthbert? And I kind of paused there when I was listening to it, and I'm there going, a queer, and obviously queer in those days obviously means joyful, gleeful kind of concept. A queer, funny ache, and yet it was a pleasant ache. Yes. How interesting that the word ache is interesting. She put that in there. Um, so take note how she says, funny ache, and yet it was a pleasant ache. Why is there an ache in a positive emotion? Why is it straight after love in Galatians 22? Love, joy, second one. Why am I not feeling more of this joy of overwhelming power to entrance me in wonder and awe? The Bible continually expresses joy and the sibling of joy, rejoice, rejoicing. Why is it there? Why is it so important over and over again? Why don't we express joy as much as the gospel instructs us to do? Have we lost our joy? Has it been taken from us? Have we allowed it to be taken from us? Did we hand it over? And in the process of handing over our joy, did we take worry, anxiety, frustration, comparison, condemnation? Did I take these things, I'm, this is more a reflection of myself, did I take these things and make them mine? Even when God instructs me to rejoice. So I thought, let's just go into the concept of what is joy? Let's define it. So there's a lot of verses here, but Esau, because I went up to Esau to find out where joy sits in the Bible, there is 155 verses with the word joy in the King James Version. How exciting. So that's 155 opportunities to be joyful. <laughs> uh, Psalm 105.43, this is a New Living Translation, uh, and it's reflecting on the Israelites being freed from Egypt. So he brought his people out of Egypt with joy, his chosen ones with rejoicing. Proverbs 23, 24 to 25, it says, the father of godly children has cause for joy. What a, <clears throat> what a pleasure to have children who are wise. So give your father and mother joy. May she who gave you birth be happy. Have I given you joy, mum? <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Don't feel obligated to say yes, just because there's a lot of people here. <laughs> and I'm on stage. <laughs> <clears throat> Luke 2.10 And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Luke 10.21 
At the same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit, and he said, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever, and for revealing them to the, to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. Matthew 5.12. Uh, and it's a concept of rejoicing in persecution times. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted by they, the prophets, which, which were before you. So it's saying like, rejoice. The prophets before you were persecuted. You might be as well, as well right now, but rejoice, be joyful. And Paul, from when he was in prison, instructs God's people uh, to rejoice in the Lord in um, the book of Philipp Philippians. Uh, but I think 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, uh, expresses joy the most accurate, accurately for me. When you have so much joy, when you've gripped it so firmly deep inside your heart that nothing or no one can take it from you. And that's what Sister Linda and you guys were talking about. And it says, our hearts ache. There's that word again. But we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to other. We own nothing and yet own everything. So this joy, I believe, is a choice like love is a choice. <clears throat> so the definition I then looked on the, because you can click on E sword and it has like these little numbers and it tells you where the word came from. And I'll try and say the words. Feel free to laugh because they're in, I don't know if they're in Hebrew or Greek. Do you know? Old Testament, Greek New Testament, basically. Okay. Well, I'll try anyway to do that. What was that? Oh, okay. <laughs> so, Galatians 5:22 uses the word joy, or their word that's joy, um, is is the word kara, or kara, whatever you want to add in that phlegm part, <laughs> which means cheerfulness. That is calm, delight, gladness, you know, joy greatly, be exceeding joyful, joyfully, joyfulness, etc. But the word used in 2 Corinthians 6.10 uses the word rejoicing. And it says a primary, oh, sorry, I should pronounce it. Kariu or kario. Kario. That word. <laughs> a primary verb, to be full of cheer, that is calmly happy or well off. It's also an, an impersonal, um, especially as a salutation or meeting, like, you know, be well, farewell, um, be glad, Godspeed, you know, greeting, hail, joyfully, joy, rejoice, etc. Um, so, yeah, we can summarize then to say that the expression of joy can be cheerfulness, gladness, calm, delight. Uh, and happiness, a sense of peace and contentment. Uh, it was instructed to be expressed in times of adversity, to be an expression parallel to hope when in despair. And this is the, back to Anna Green Gables, this is the queer, funny ache, but a pleasant ache that Anne was expressing, um, I believe, when possibly the same sort of joy. You know, she had been an orphan all her life, up until the age of 11 when she was adopted by um, Matthew and Marilla. Um, she had gone through multiple families, ended up, ended up in an orphanage for four years, watching, can you just imagine just watching um, children being adopted and then you sitting there going, what's wrong with me? What did I do wrong? Why am I not pretty enough? And throughout the book, the, it's mentioned all the times that she's not a very attractive girl, but 
you'd have that playing on your mind consistently. You know, she had freckles, red hair that wasn't very obviously attractive. Um, you know, she had grey, green eyes. So nothing really pleasant or ordinary or normal in those days. <clears throat> she knew adversity. She knew what feeling unloved felt like all too well. And I can assume, it's wrong to assume, but I can assume we've all felt that to a degree. We've all felt the concept of unloved, unworthy, you know, not really cared for. But she chose joy because she was hopeful of someone taking her in and making her family. Just like God takes us in and makes us family, amen? So when she had seen this beautiful, wonderful scenery, she felt overwhelming joy. The peak of joy, as if in disbelief, like, I did not imagine this. <laughs> uh, because she had always imagined beautiful things. She always had hope for beautiful things in her life, but things that may not ever occur to her or never come across. But she constantly chose joy to be in her heart, to live inside her. And when she saw that she was in the presence of this beautiful moment, she let it take her, silencing her. She wanted to take it all in, experience it completely, so she surrendered to the moment. She, she was a talkative girl, but her mouth just was like silent. She surrendered to that moment of just complete joy, of complete wonder. You know, pretty doesn't, doesn't seem the right word to use, nor beautiful either. They don't go far enough. Oh, it was wonderful. Wonderful, she repeats that. So then I came across the, uh, started thinking about why isn't joy prominent in our life? And you know, not just in um, the congregation, but out there in the world. Like, why is there so much, you know, comparison, uh, division, so much, um, you know, fear of missing out sort of concept? Why is that, why isn't joy the more prominent thing? Um, so I'm there going, what does it take to choose joy? Why don't we express more of this cheerfulness, Gladys? I said that already, how awkward. <laughs> so the first reason I thought was, uh, it came to me when I was reading Isaiah chapter 59, and in the first three verses it says, listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear your call. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Your hands are the hands of murderers and your fingers are filthy with sin. Your lips are full of lies and your mouth spews corruption. That's the New Living Translation, sorry. <clears throat> and then, then I, when I was reading this, I wrote down in my, my little personal notes, I journal while I um, read scriptures. And I wrote for myself, and even after we've repented and confessed our sins, do we still choose to punish ourselves with shame? Do we choose to shun and shame others by reminding them that they shouldn't be joyful, happy because of who they are, a sinner, a human? Who am I to inflict my judgment of a person? Um, how should they, how they, how a person should behave when I'm not walking their walk with God? It's not my job to only worry about my, it's not, Sorry. It's my job to only worry about my walk. And right now I'm going to give a sacrifice of praise and focus on him and his capabilities for who he is and not my limitations as a human. So of course, naturally, I'm going to be joyful. It's all about perceptions. And then I'm like going, <laughs> and then I sort of did a little dance when I was writing those notes. I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> as I do in the shower. But anyway, moving on. 
So it's our act of choosing to sin that's cutting us from God. It's that intention that's there. And that's making them brought on the question, who and what, or what, sorry, is our God? If we're not having God as our God, what are we putting in God's position? Yes, his place. What is the thing that we focus on the most, the thing that we dwell on the most? Is it relationships? Is it materialistic things? Are we serving the God of fear of missing out? Are we afraid to miss out on human love, afraid to miss out on certain experiences, places, things, etc.? Or are we going to focus on what God can do in our lives and has, and has done in our lives? The more you focus on God, the less likely you'll focus on all the other distractions and things that will trip us up into sin. It's the power of choice, the power of focus. And to emphasize the power of choices, uh, down a little further in the same chapter, Isaiah 59, um, in verse 8, it says, They don't know where to find peace or what it means to be just and good. They have mapped out crooked roads, and no one who follows them knows a moment's peace. And then I wrote in my notes again, we make our own road maps when we focus on our limitations and the excessive worries of this world, and we fall into despair. You only need to look at the news to tell you that, or social media feeds. After some practice, you learn to be aware and acknowledge it, but you don't focus and dwell on it. So it's okay to, in a sense, see what the news is obviously bringing out or what, you know, what your news feed says on your, on your Instagram or Facebook, but as long as you don't focus on it and dwell on it, yeah. that's where joy will be ripped away from you if you do, if that makes sense. Yeah? So the second reason I thought, so that was the first reason, sorry, is that one, our sin is blocking us or cutting us from God. Second reason, and I think some, if not most of the time, um, we don't express joy or commit to the choice of joyful behavior because it commands us, commands of us to be vulnerable. And what's the negative stigma around vulnerability? Oh, come on. Weakness, exactly, yes. When there's a case of vulnerability or when you feel vulnerable, you feel weak. You feel like something can be taken from you or somebody can destroy you, someone can cut your reputation, et cetera, et cetera. You feel like you're powerless or out of, out of control. In, out of, yeah, out of control. <laughs> um, so raise your hand if you've, uh, this is if you have children. I mean, you can also put this concept if you have a pet as well. Raise your hand, <laughs> to a degree. Raise your hand if you've ever looked at your sleeping child and felt this overwhelming feeling of joy and love. Now keep it up. But as you feel the urge of that joy coming on, and you, you know your eyes start to sort of tear up, before that tearing up starts to happen, a thought comes into your mind of a horrible situation where something bad is going to happen to them or you. Keep your hand up. Yeah? No? Yeah, it, it doesn't have to be with a child, but for example, something's going so well for you. Yeah, like a business, yeah. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> 
<laughs> Quite like that. It's where you think something, everything is going so well, but then a thought comes to your head and you'll be like, oh, what if this happens, what if this happens? And no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to dive into that joy just, just as much. And we all do it. Yeah, can't put all your eggs in one basket. <laughs> so this is actually called foreboding, foreboding joy. So Dr. Brene Brown is a researcher on wholehearted living, vulnerability, and shame. And she says, when we lose our tolerance for vulnerability, joy becomes foreboding. It's like we're saying, I'm not going to soften in this moment of joy because it could be taken away. Yeah. We try to beat vulnerability to the punch. We want to be ready for it. We don't want to be, you know, swept under. We say, no way am I going to fall for that trap and be caught off guard and fall into disappointment, sadness, betrayal, ripped of joy. So I'm not going to dive into this joy because it will hurt later. We sort of avoid joy altogether. And like, it's like, oh, I'm feeling this positive, overwhelming sense, but there's that opportunity that it could be taken away from me. So we sort of step out of that joy and go, no, nah, I've got to be ready mentally. It's like when, um, when you, I guess, love someone so much, and then you think of them passing away. And then you're like, okay, I'm going to be ready for that. I don't, I don't want to be vulnerable in that point where I'm going to break down and cry. No, I want, I want to be prepared for that. So I'm going to think about, you know, their passing away and what life's going to be without them, sort of thing. But you're stealing yourself of joy in that moment, in that very moment of thinking of the great things, of the positive experiences that you had with that person, etc. <clears throat> So, and, and that brought on my conviction of, like, as I mentioned before, we allow worries of this world to rip, rip right of our, out of our hands our joy. We practically hand it over sometimes um, to them. They steal our joy. God gave that to you through his spirit, as it says in the Vive 22, you know, love, joy comes with the spirit of God. The fruit of the spirit, sorry. So why are you giving it to others? Um, me personally, why am I giving it to others? You know, if, George, if God gave me joy with his spirit, why am I giving that joy to someone, like to others to have that control over? Hmm? To bless them. No, I meant in the sense of you allow them when you give it up, when you give up joy. Not in the sense that like you give them like the joy as in like you, you share it around. I mean, that's if they, you, they, they take it from you, yeah. In a sense, their actions sort of take it from you. Um, and this is probably one of the answers to when people ask me like, why are you so happy all the time? Back to that concept. Because I decided a long time ago, a long time ago, but it mostly became more prominent in recent years, um, to not allow anything or anyone to steal my joy. I will no longer hand over fruit of the spirit that has grown inside of me to the devil and his advocates. And I think I learned it mostly through my mum and dad um, being bring brought up in the church. Each Sunday coming into services, just praising and rejoicing. Um, even if there was an argument between the two before service. <laughs> They'd still come into church all happy and praising and like, just it's like a switch, it was amazing. <laughs> 
So I'm just thinking maybe joy was underlining the whole thing and then this little argument was just like a little leaf and it just had to be there for a moment and then pass away and then joy came back again. <laughs> um, so Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10, <laughs> it says, and Nehemiah continued, Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drinks and share gifts of food with people who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Don't be dejected and sad, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. Feels good when you read that. Anyway, third reason that I thought of why joy might not be prominent. Um, and I found this mostly myself, I only started practicing it more uh, intentionally in the past year or so, is gratitude. Did you know that joy cannot exist without gratitude? Interesting, isn't it? I try, I try right now. Go have joy and try not to be grateful at the same time. <laughs> it's impossible. So did you know that practicing gratitude for even the smallest things starts a snowball effect of so many other things? And when you start focusing on things that you are grateful for, you can't help but smile and appreciate it all, and there, right there, you've experienced joy. Joy awaits with open arms ready to embrace you. And this is why, in a sense, I loved reading and listening to Anna Green Gables because I was there going, she's focusing on the small things, you know, the flowers, the bees, the birds, the apples, you know, and just looking at everything in big awe, like, wow, this is amazing, like, it's so beautiful, the colours, you know, the wood, you know, it's so shiny, sort of, it needs a polish. <laughs> uh, the colours are the different colour gradients of the wood, you know, it's all different, the light coming in from the sun, like she, was, she just takes all those small things and is just like amazed by it. Because Anne was in grateful all of so many things that we sometimes take for granted. They're there every day, those little things, but we miss them. So let's play a little, little game. <clears throat> let's try it all together. Everyone just say one little thing. I'm gonna start though. Name one thing really small that you probably take for granted uh, that you're grateful for, donuts. <laughs> Chocolate. Chocolate. When have you taken a donut for granted? Huh? When have you taken a donut? No, I haven't, but most people do. <laughs> what was that? The ocean. The ocean. Yes. Water. Everyone. Water? Insulin. Insulin. Yeah. Anyone else? Keep going. Toilet paper. Amen. <laughs> Can you imagine sandpaper? No, thank you. <laughs> Toilet paper. Amen. Fresh air. Amen. Fresh air. Where? Water. Water? Who said that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, anything else? Heartbreak and each breath that we take. I was going to say that actually. Petrol. Petrol. Hell. Diesel. Salvation. Amen. Love. Blankets. Blankets. Amen. Church. Church. My wife said to get a bagel for her. <laughs> yes, grateful for your spouse and partner. Because <laughs> sometimes we do take these little things and we don't think about them. Like even with the breath, as Brother Ron said, the breath and the heartbeat. The heart is an automatic, is an uh, involuntary muscle, so it continuously beats. 
We don't have control over that. I mean, we do if you stop breathing or if you put yourself in a room where there's no air, of course you're, you're voluntarily making your heart stop, but you have no control over that. Same with the air, like when you're breathing. Sometimes, like yes, you can control your breath and you control how smooth it is, but when you hold onto your breath to a certain point, you'll gasp for air, like you have no control of that. It's an involuntary action. <clears throat> and we take it for granted sometimes. It's like right now, did you think about the last breath you had? What did it feel like? Was it, <laughs> Was it warm, cool? Both? Both? It's fantastic, very good. <laughs> so that once you start thinking of the little things and start appreciating it, like, thank you so much for the air. You know what, thank you for, um, I'm grateful for these functioning lungs. I'm grateful for the functioning um, oxygen that's going through my lungs into my heart, which is pumping, obviously, blood and fresh oxygen to my muscles that needs of energy. I thank you for, like, the food that I get each day. Even when I'm fasting, I thank you for the food that I'm going to get in the future. <laughs> So these little things, and then you start smiling and going, I'm actually alive. I'm alive. <laughs> and then you start dancing. I don't know if I'm allowed to dance, but you might see my leg do this every now and then. <laughs> okay, fourth reason. There's another way joy can be extinguished. If you seek out for your own self gain. If you only seek out things and only seek out people to gain something from them rather than putting into them, joy will evade you like the plague. Joy does not live in comparison, competition, jealousy, envious, resentful environments. If you ca it, it, it cannot survive when it's all about the self and what I can gain if I'm comfortable, if I'm, you know, uh, he getting something out of it in the sense, like uh, visiting family. I just go to family events for food, let's be honest. <laughs> Free food. <laughs> um, and that's why I believe it comes straight after love in Galatians 22. Love being the first does not only exist within solely ourselves. It exists when there are two or more people. Does that make sense? So yes, you can care for yourself, self-care, but the true concept of love needs is to be shared, and it can only be expressed um, evidently when there's two people or more. And this goes the same with joy, and hence why it's straight up to love, or how, why I, one of the reasons why I can see why it's straight up to love. We must feel joy for ourselves and others for it to thrive. Yeah. Jesus commands us to love our enemies, and since joy follows love, that's exactly what we have to do for our enemies, express joy for them when they are progressing. Yeah. So I was reading a book recently, and they came across the, the practice of sympathetic joy, and this girl, she was, um, found herself, um, she would have her friend, and they would constantly, um, you know, talk about other people behind and sort of condemn them and you know shame them. You know, and having that, who's had that relationship where you're sort of, um, it's only built on shaming and condemning someone else or other people. Sometimes we do that, like you're, you're at work and you don't have really anything to get along with someone, like a work partner, you don't really get along with them out of work, but when you're in work, the only reason why you get along with them is because you're talking about someone else behind their back, like about the customers 
That's a good one. Yep. I mean, it's not a good one, but you get what I mean. It's a good example. <laughs> um, so she found herself continually being critical and judgmental towards people in her life, not just her friends and her family, but even acquaintances or people she didn't even know on the street. So then she obviously went and got some counselling help and was working on herself and she realised it's actually because she was um, envious of those people. If they were happy, she would, so say for example, um, say somebody was happy and they've got a, a great family and um, a not so good of a car sort of thing. So she'd be like, oh I can see you're happy but you've got a really bad car. So that justifies why I'm not, why I'm happier than you, because I don't have a crap car. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like she would do things like that. Sorry, was I supposed to say crap? Sorry, my bad. That's the second time too. I'll stop that. <laughs> um, so the practice that she was given was, and you can do it here right now. So I want you to close your eyes. Close your eyes, if you can. If you, if you feel scared or worried, I, I understand you. Keep your eyes open then. <laughs> and I want you to feel, you know, joy or a sense of happiness, content, joy of something about yourself that you've accomplished. Nathan would be fishing, he caught a big fish. And you'd feel, you'd feel that energy of, yes, yes, I feel amazing, I caught that big fish. And what's your thing like? Just have it in your mind, and you, and you feel so proud of yourself, you feel so good about yourself, you feel, wow, I'm so happy that I've come this far. I've done this amazing thing, I've pushed myself, and I've come this far. And you're experiencing joy, you can't help but smile and go, that's, I've done it. Now I want you to think of someone that you love and feel joy for them, that they're, they're doing tremendously good in life, and you feel so happy for them. If you're great, you're like, yes, they're striving, they're, they're progressing, they've got a great family and friends, they're happy, they're supported. Then you push that boundary and go, and you, you try and feel joy for someone that you're acquainted with. There might be someone at the shops that you come across every, all the time with the same sort of checkout person or um, the same bank person or bank teller. And you want to feel joy for them, like they're doing so well in life. You know, you're seeing them happy every time you come into the bank or when you come to the shops and you, and you feel joy and you're like, I hope they're doing well, you know. But I want you to then push it a little bit further. What about feeling joy for someone that you have a disagreement with at the moment? It's harder to feel joy, but I want you to try and hold that joyful feeling and feel joy for that person that you have a disagreement with. You know, it's not a ruined, ruined relationship, but you want them, you want to feel joy for them. You want to feel that they're on the right path, that you know, things are going well for them. And this is where the enemy part comes in. I want you to think of someone that you disapprove of or dislike or, what's the word I had here? Or you're struggling to love. You really struggle, you know, their actions, you're struggling. The actions say did something that you just don't agree with, with the actions. But God commands us to love our enemies, and since joy follows love in that list, we need to feel some sense of joy for them when they're doing, when they're progressing, when they're happy, when, they're do, when they've got good things going on in their life, when they've got good health. 
you know, when they've got family and friends supporting them. Anyway, you can open your eyes now. It's a big journey coming from yourself and you're feeling immense joy, like I'm proud of it, to go to a complete opposite of someone that you currently just are struggling to love. And it's a constant practice that I feel we have to do, in a, ten, in a sense, daily to really accomplish what God's love is for us when he died on that cross for us. It's always going to be drawn back to that. So in conclusion, yes, I'm almost finished. If the musician would like to come up. No. <laughs> but Nathan, if you want to um, help me up here, and I'll get past it, obviously, before we start playing. What was that? That made me feel joy. It did. Um, I want to sing the song, Rejoice in the Lord always. That's the song that's coming to my head anyway. <clears throat> so in conclusion, why should we choose to express joy? Not just because God commands us, but it reminds us to be grateful. Because it can't exist without gratitude next to it. It reminds us to be hopeful. It allows us to focus on our blessings and enjoy life. And it draws, and draws less focus on our sufferings. After all, in Nehemiah 8.10, it does say, For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. And I would rather be strong in my sufferings and enjoy the vast challenges that life has to offer. It's a reflection of God living inside of us. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be suffocated with worries. Lifeless. I want to be alive, free, with joy. So I want to set a challenge, one last thing. I want to set a challenge for all of us, for us all. Let's, I actually got this from a song recently. Let's seek his kingdom and his righteousness so much that when we're filled with so much joy, that even when we trip up, we repent rejoicing or we go down rejoicing <laughs> and you come crawling back up dusting off rejoicing the whole time so much that even the devils and the demons will tremble so much that, the, that they will feel like they need to pray <laughs> for us to stop to deliver them from so much joy does that make sense? I want us to be I want to be in I want my life to be in so much joy that even the people around me and you know, the spiritual beings around me are trembling, going, this person is in so much joy right now, I can't handle this. I need to pray. I need to pray. That's what I want to feel. Anyway, so thank you very much for listening, and thank you, Pastor Bill, again for this opportunity. Thank you, Daniel. Great. <laughs> for your message this morning. Appreciate that. Amen. Let's sing.